Welcome to Culture Factor. I'm your host, Holly Shannon. Our new season looks at creators, innovators, and entrepreneurs. Why? Because the gig economy is emerging. Talent has gone to work for themselves. Whether furloughed or part of the great resignation, they've birthed the big idea, and those 57 million Americans are contributing more than $1 trillion to the U.S. economy annually. This is what the new normal looks like. You now have a front row seat to creator culture and into the places where the magic is being made. Subscribe now to Culture Factor so your ears are treated to some of the best stories around the world. And if you take the time to rate, review, and share this, please send me the screenshot and I'll give you a shout out on my show. Please reach out if you'd like to sponsor Culture Factor. It is your opportunity to be a part of a show that is ranked in the top 2% globally and heard in over 77 countries. Email holly at hollyshannon.com to be a part of this global audience. Hi, Culture Factor friends. Today I have a very special, special friend and guest on the show. His name is Chris Krimitzos, and he holds the Guinness World Record title for the largest audience for a virtual podcasting conference in one week. And I was there. I was pretty excited about that. And he's a leading expert on podcasting and on-demand audio. His international conference, PodFest, is the longest-running, continuous, in-person podcasting event in the world and attracts thousands of attendees from over 50 countries each year. Running parallel to that event, Chris also successfully birthed VidFest as part of his efforts to build the home for all creators. We will definitely get into that with Chris because I think the creator economy means that we all do a little bit of everything, right? We're all a little bit of jack of all trades. So uh, just want to finish this little intro with that. He, with the two decades and over 2,000 live events under his belt, Chris has worked with the world's most influential voices in marketing, audio, and technology. And those experiences inspired his best-selling book, Start Ugly, which we'll tap into today for sure. Um, and that has com- has quickly become the go-to guide for entrepreneurs and influencers who are beginning their creative journey. So... I'm going to let Chris continue to tell us all the wonderful things about him, and I would like to introduce him. So welcome to the show, Chris. Ali, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. This is really great. So, uh, you know, you've built so many events. Uh, I feel like you and I come from the same DNA because I'd been in the event space building trade shows for 15 years, and it's a huge undertaking. So while maybe in the business of podcasting, I'd say you're really in the business of event planning, but what do you see yourself as? Uh, we're, we're in the business of building a community and we aggregate it through events. Um, and kind of like, uh, I think John Lennon had a, a quote about life happens in between events. So we are creating things in between our events to bind and tie the community together. So we just released our PodFest Messenger newsletter that uh, Larry Roberts is putting together to tie everybody in. We are creating a podcast for the community itself, um, so, but it's all community driven. So it's really interesting to watch. It's really, we're building a, a reef system and it's very hard to unbuild it. It's very easy to damage it, but it's very hard to unbuild it because it's, it takes years of momentum and and momentum to build it. So we've done that in the podcasting space. We're also doing it right currently in the YouTube space, which, you know, it's all blending in together. 
and we're building some stuff also in the um, blockchain uh, Bitcoin space uh, for financial inclusion. So we're starting to build something there as well. So the overall company is called Cutting Edge Events. So yes, events is how we facilitate our communities, but really we're community building and uh, you know, PodFest started with 13 people at a meetup. So now we're in the thousands. So it's pretty cool to see how eight years later, this amazing community is thriving and doing so well. You know, it's interesting. Um, you keep coming back to the word community, and it's something that I've been also talking about a lot on my show that uh, you really, it is the foundation of everything. When I was on your LinkedIn profile, um, what really stood out in your title is a home for audio content creators who are looking to amplify their message. And what really struck me was the word home. And I have been a part of events either on the side of planning or the side of attending. And there's nothing that quickly felt like home as much as PodFest did. And I know you started small, but there's something about you and what you're doing that makes it feel that way to people. And I believe it's the attention that you give. So maybe let's talk a little bit about your brand and, and how that has evolved. Do you think you can share with us like how you were able to keep this thread of home from when it was 15 people to thousands? Well, I, I've done this once before with a, a local business group in Tampa. And one thing we learned, and this is a conventional wisdom will tell you as it gets bigger, you'll lose that um, feel of home. But I believe the opposite. If you're able to really uh, hone in on the individuals that uh, what I would call pillars of your community, and you could help propel them as leaders within your community, they will build a home for others within the ecosystem, within this reef system. And that literally creates multiple homes for thousands of people across the spectrum. So we're always thinking about how can we create, um, when we did get past the thousand mark in live event attendees, we created the microcon system. So most people might, might say, what's a microcon? Think of it as a track, but we call it a microcon because it's a microorganism that is around a subject matter. So those people could have a home. And then when they're done with their conference, they could be part of the bigger home, which is PodFest. So we're always thinking about how could we bring people together um, at PodFest, you know, the closing ceremony, the closing keynote is the audience itself. So it's very unique in that we put up a mic on the stage and the members of the community get a minute or two. We're trying to figure out how to scale that when we do the in-person because there's so many people. It's, uh, you know, we got to create almost a lottery system at this point, uh, but it's such a beautiful thing. And then we have, um, we have our influencer meet and greet. We start our event where everybody gets together and we all meet one another. It's really cool to watch people meet one another, make connections. Um, so we're always thinking of ways we do. We play Trivia Warfare, thanks to Jonathan Oakes um, of Trivial Warfare. We literally play trivia against each other. And that's a really cool thing that we, we kick off at, you know, the event with. So there's a lot of really cool things that we do to bond people together, make friends, um, create community. And I grew up in a big fat Greek family up in New York. And I just remember one thing I didn't realize how important that ecosystem was. I never had to look for a job because I'd always ask a cousin and they'd refer me into a place. 
Uh, and I mean that even from a kid, like, um, so when I moved to Florida, I realized like, wow, I had this ecosystem called my family, all these relatives. And I was like, most of us don't have that. And most of us move nowadays to a different state. And it's like, how could we create that? And the medium of podcast is this amazing community of people all over the world. And we just wanted to create a structure for them to navigate and meet one another. And we're really proud of what collectively the community has created. Um, yes, I might set out the vision, but the community really takes it the next level. And it's important to listen to the community. And you know, we, we use Tony Shea's methodology of holacracy of giving people positions of power to 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 create something special it's interesting because when i was um blessed with the opportunity to speak at one of your events uh we kind of bonded over that conversation and i really wanted to present that story tony shea's story because it was a part of your ecosystem. And um, I think that really building up the people that work for you and with you and part of your community is the secret sauce to success. And I think it's so cool that you were able to use a piece of that, like to emulate what he did. It's pretty amazing stuff. Um, you know, it's interesting because I'm also a New Englander like you and have always had lots of connections. How has the pandemic reshaped how you approach community? Well, uh, this past week I did, um, we just started back in person for the Florida Podcast Association. We do a, a monthly meetup here in my own backyard in Tampa. We've been doing it for seven years, second Tuesday of the month. It's been virtual for quite some time. And honestly, I like virtual because I didn't have to leave my desk, but we had to rip the bandaid off and go back to in-person because we did want to see people. So I think, yeah, I think this past week was the third in-person event we've done. Um, I cannot tell you how much I miss seeing people in person. And it's, it's just very difficult to pull it off nowadays with all the different um, uh, contingency safety protocols. Um, and there's no, you could do all you want, but it's almost impossible to keep people completely safe. There's always something that's going to happen. Um, so I miss the in-person Holly. I miss seeing people. So for me, we were able to create these amazing, massive virtual events and it fulfilled that hole in me to see people virtually. And I loved it. And now I'm able to do a little bit of both, but I did notice that I've been in my office a lot because when I went to the um, IHOP, we hold that at IHOP. When I went to the IHOP, at first I was like, oh, it's a pain in the butt. I left my office to come here. And then when everybody got together, I was like, oh my God, why don't we do this more often? So you realize that when you're in front of the desk that maybe you don't realize it in the moment, but once you get out, you realize like, oh, I've been craving this. I just didn't realize I've been in front of my computer for the last, you know, 24 days or something. I haven't. So uh, I do my best to network via Zoom, and then I work in a uh, innovation hub. So there's other business owners here that I run into in the hallways from time to time. I can't, my personality, I can't be isolated away from people. I probably would, um, I, I know I wouldn't thrive, but it, it would be detrimental to my mental health. So I've been doing my best to navigate how we could get back in person, see people, uh, but also network uh, virtually via Zoom. So I meet, I do a lot of Zoom calls and I enjoy most of them for the most part, they're amazing. But you do get spent at the end of the day from being on Zoom all day. You almost need a, a debrief, you know, uh, to relax. 
I agree. And I think a lot of the body language is lost for sure. And I think that there's an energy and that's palpable in a room at a good event when you're around people that you really enjoy that you could never, even if there's 16 faces on your Zoom screen, it's not even remotely the same. I'm a little worried, actually. I think there's a generation that fell into working that way right from the get-go. And um, they've assimilated to a very um, 2D type of uh, work environment. And I'm afraid that there's going to be some businesses that never shift into incorporating the 3D part of it. Uh, and, and there's a lot lost when you don't meet in person. And, and that's hard to tell people. Yeah, I mean, when we had we had 10 people, usually this meeting used to get 40 people. Now I'm happy to have 10 to 15. Um, I had an adrenaline high for a day and a half, uh, literally, because and I didn't realize it until you get home and you're like, why can't I sleep? Why am I still excited? <laughs> and it's what you just said. Being around people creates a different energy. I do love the Zoom calls, a great Zoom call done right. You could really get uh, a, a mini fix. But you're completely right by being in the space, seeing people's body language. And there's energy that we give off. So you're able to really, it was just really cool. We had someone drive almost two hours to come to the meeting just to be there with us. I had just moved to Florida and we were all like, you know, welcoming that person. So that kind of stuff is, it's just nice. And then they feel welcome. So it just made me feel good to get everybody together. Um, and, and I, you know, moving forward, we'll, we'll see more of that. It just, it's going to, it's like tippy toeing our toes back in the water and, and it'll take some time for uh, you know us to all regulate to how everything works. You're tippy toeing into November. So uh, I would love for you to share a little bit about the event coming up and then also into the beginning of next year because while you are in the business of community and um, you are in the business of creating events. You also are in the business of the creator economy and the gig economy. And so I know that you have things coming down the pike that are so beneficial to our growth uh, because, of course, this world now requires us to be multi-talented in you know, all kinds of content creation. So please share a little bit about that if you don't mind because they're coming up. So I want people to be aware. Yeah, so for, for this year, for 2021, we're actually um, going to be doing a, a huge event. Uh, actually, it's huge in that the venue is huge. The event itself is actually intimate. Uh, we rented the Amelie Arena. So it's an arena where the Stanley Cup uh, champion, uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, play out of. So we rented the suites, the high-end suites. And in that lounge, we're going to have uh, three, four sections and breakout. So we'll be hosting a PodFest and VidFest. So anyone wanting to learn podcasting or video, we'll be hosting um, education there. And it's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be really amazing, uh, really awesome, November 4th and 5th. And prior to that, for those that can't make it in person, we're limiting it. So we're almost at 40% sold through. We'll, it will sell out fairly, I think, sometime in October. But the um, the, the, we have a virtual component. So October 28th, 29th and November 1st through the 3rd, we'll have virtual and a virtual event going on. So everybody could join in. It's going to be a lot of fun. Everybody will be on the same app. Uh, we're just really excited for the whole um, thing to take off and, and we're excited to bring everybody together one more time. And then next year we have a big event in May planned. But for this year, you know, at popfestexpo.com, if you want to learn about the event, you can check it out. Um, we're putting the finishing touches to it right now, Holly. It's going to be amazing. 
I'm excited. I'm very excited for it. I'm often asked, does my business need a podcast? My answer is yes, that nothing else is the fast track into thought leadership and being established and seen as the expert in your industry as podcasting. What's increasingly evident is that it's a branding machine. It kicks doors open for you to have conversations with leaders. It creates a pathway to partnerships and connections on a deeper level. You will not be your industry's best kept secret. Your ideas and business will have global reach. So step into your power. Go to hollyshannon.com to launch your podcast now. And now back to our interview. I would love to tap into another side of you. We spoke about it a little bit in the intro is your book starting ugly, um, or start ugly, sorry. And, um, I would love to dive into that a little bit because as we look at this gig economy, this creator economy, uh, freelancers, entrepreneurs, you know, call them whatever you want. I mean, we're sort of all part of that same picture. Uh, this is really a blueprint, I think, for um, success and and how to get started in anything. So how did this book come to be? So I deal with a lot of creators, and you're right, we are in this gig creator economy. We actually see um, the younger generation not wanting to work for people. Uh, they'd rather have their own gig, um, be an independent contractor, and own their future. So we're seeing a huge uh, shift towards entrepreneurism at a level I don't think anyone f- foresaw it happening so fast. So um, Start Ugly really is it was a mantra to help people kind of adopt that shift and be able to roll with the punches as fast as they come. Because in entrepreneurship, a lot of people don't realize the successful entrepreneurs have to start ugly so many times to get to that level of what's considered success. And then even after they achieve success, they have to be very vigilant to start ugly again, because if they get complacent, someone else will come back, you know, nip at their heels and um, compete with them. So start ugly is really a short story that I, I created that I could give to people. Maybe they could recognize themselves in this short story of fictional characters it's a hundred page book, probably a 30 minute read for a fairly quick reader. If you're slow, it's like, like myself could be an hour, but it's, it's, it's very, it's a page turner and we've sold thousands of them. We've helped a lot of people get out of their own way. And the cool thing about the book is the cover. And in such a matter, kind of like it's over my shoulder, but that you keep it somewhere in your library on your desk. So it stares back at you to rob you of any excuses you have of why you're not starting something. So it's a, it's a very interesting times we live in and I created so I could give it to creators, but what's happened and I didn't foresee this, a lot of consultants, a lot of people in the real estate industry, a lot of people in the financial and event planning industry, they're giving it to their friends and their peers as gifts. Uh, and it's become a huge gift. I have a kid that bought him for a class where he teaches manufacturing skills. And I said, why'd you buy this? He goes, they got to learn how to start ugly. So it's become a, um, a rallying call. And a lot of people buy it for their uh, clients, their peers, uh, their fellow, you know, members, and they do it as required reading. So it's been really a blessing because it's such a simple message. Then you just talk about how can we start ugly and it helps people break out of really bad habits of doing the same thing over and over again. Um, so really excited for, for it to help a lot more people as, as we move forward. That's amazing. You know, I think it's a conversation, um, different iterations of it happen all the time, like, um, 
good over great and, you know, uh, like analysis paralysis. And uh, one of the things I think that really stands out with your book is that thinking of starting something and not actually doing it is where the failure lies, not in just starting ugly and breaking stuff in the china shop kind of thing. Am I getting that right? Yeah. The premise is we spend too much time thinking and not enough time trying stuff out. And in the in the trying stuff out, we could find out if we like it or we don't like it. And once we know that, we could either put it to rest or continue doing it. Um, and and once you create that decision tree of what are you going to do with it, uh, let's just say, for instance, you try something out that you've been thinking about for five years and you realize within a week you don't like it. Imagine had you five years earlier tried it out, you would have saved yourself five years of thinking and you would have went on to the next thing. So as human beings, we tend to overanalyze most things. And um, Start Ugly is meant for everybody. It's meant for overachievers. It's meant for people who are afraid to get started. It, it's meant to rob you of that excuse and just get going so you could see what it is you want to do it with life. Um, a lot of people are still looking to find their, their calling. Uh, Start Ugly is there to help you kind of test, test, test quicker uh, so you could find what makes you truly happy. It's such a great message. Uh, you know, one of the things that for me was really great, like when I started podcasting, uh, you know, as I said many times, I didn't know what I didn't know. And it actually is a gift. I actually think just starting, starting ugly is really important, but I think actually not overanalyzing diving in and not knowing what the hell you're doing or what the right way of doing it is, is really important because I think in doing that, you also innovate. You know, if you follow a lot of rules and you think that you have to do it a certain way, like I have to create a podcast the way Chris Krimitzos has created it or Joe Rogan for that matter, um, I, right, I'll never get started because I'll think that it's unattainable. Like these people are titans in their industry and, and they have all of this help and all of these people doing it. There's no way that I could do something like that. But I think when you don't know how to do something, you actually create new ways of doing it and you innovate in other ways. And what you do is you create a pathway for other people to maybe get into something that also looked unattainable to them because they only thought it could be done a certain way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I agree 100%. And uh, that's the whole premise. And Joe Rogan, if you look at his early episodes, they were terrible as far as aesthetics, looks. He hadn't really figured out if he was going to interview people. And then as slowly but surely as he kept improving, he, he is where he is today. You know, one of the things I want to point out is that you have always been willing to help and always listening, but clearly you're also watching, like you're really watching shifts in the industry, um, shifts in the way people do things. I mean, just to be able to say that, I mean, you're paying attention to what's happening in the industry, whether it was 20 years ago, 10 years ago, 10 minutes ago. And I think that keeps you agile with your family. I think that really keeps you agile. I know that's not a question. I just need to say that. <laughs> no, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, with PodFest, when we hit that thousand threshold, we knew in order for us to grow, 
and to expand, we needed to really give our members what they needed. And that's where the microcon concept came from. We had seen other event planners, events actually try it. Um, and we figured out, okay, how could we engineer? And we're still reinventing it, but now, you know, we have a whole track, we have a training, but we didn't have anything when we started. We would just tell people, here's what's expected of you, you know, show up and we'll figure it out together. But now it's starting to get formalized. Had I not started ugly when I did, I wouldn't have, I would take like two years to implement that. So we just started in the flow. Was it a pain in the butt in our systems? Absolutely. But did it help us double and triple in size? Yes. Uh, but we were willing to start ugly and test and the test was successful. I think it's interesting because you created leaders in each of those subsets. So, uh, you know, while everybody might be attending because they want to improve their content creation game, having um, sort of like a, a mini tribe, if you will, or these microcons that you're talking about is really important because within podcasting, while it might be the exercise that you're doing, you're usually speaking about what your specialty is or what you're curious about. Uh, so it might be your passion might be true crime or your specialty might be mental health. And so there is a very specific tribe within that, you know, it's not just podcasting. It is your true crime, the people who are really curious about what that looks like, maybe people in the legal field or people who enjoy the, um, the stories around it. Uh, so I think it's really important that you created that and that you saw that it was missing in the, in the conference world, because uh, I think that, that that says a lot and it does grow it because people find another home and a way to express themselves. Yeah, and, and the app that we use, Whova, allows our members to set up their own meetups so then we could see where we're missing gaps. And then we, we implement those gaps and we see who the leaders are because they step up organically and then we reach out to them. So it's just a really cool, it's a really cool time to be alive. And someone was mentioning when the whole COVID pandemic hit, they're like, oh my God, live events are going to be done. I go, not, not for me. And they go, how do you know? I go, my people are live virtually year round anyways. They need a place to go out and see each other. <laughs> so when we come out of this, I just know that we'll be okay because we're on that side of the economy, the creator economy, gig economy, like what you said, that's growing ever larger. And because podcasters live virtually, they need once or twice a year to go see each other. And PodFest has become one of the, you know, must must attend tour stops, so to speak, to see your peers. So I'm very happy and proud of that. But also, I, I kind of like you, I, I see the trends. The trends are more people are going to be living in front of the computer more and more. So when they do leave, they want to make sure it's worth their time. And I want to make sure that us as a community are delivering value for everybody that comes through our doors one way or another. So we're, we're excited about that. And we're excited about, you know, what that's going to contribute. One thing that I did want to just quickly touch on uh, as we start to round the close of this is that uh, your big event, your much larger one, hopefully happens next year and that there's enough protocol put in place that it can happen. And I bring it up only because the Guinness Book of World Records is, a, is sort of a big part of the brand uh, for PodFest. So, do you want to just share a little bit about that? I mean, I'm going to put links in the show notes for everybody, but you know, from your heart, I would love for you to have an opportunity to share that. So what I envision for next year in May, uh, it's May, I think 26th to 29th. 
we really are envisioning um think of it almost like a carnival like atmosphere uh mixed in with like a college atmosphere mixed in with like the best parties ever you know so we're, we're envisioning bringing on uh, content creators from around the globe language we have all kinds of languages spoken virtually but we're going to bring that to the physical format as well um so 20 percent uh, we're going to hope to uh, hit maybe 20 percent of content delivered in spanish on site even uh, we have a huge um, uh, Spanish-speaking audience that w we cater to, and then we're we're looking to just we're looking to just have fun, man. We're, you know, uh, right now, I think the world is so intense. Our education is top-notch, but we want to have an environment where collisions happen. And what I mean by that is collaborations amongst individuals that people will say, years from now, I met so and so at Podfest, and we created this partnership, or we did this deal, or because of Podfest. I met XYZ person. So we're, we're just really excited for what, what's around the corner. And we see big things for our community and our members. And um, that's, that's kind of what we're working around the clock, Holly. So a lot of people are like, what do you do year round? It's like, that's what we work on. It's like preparing for the next event. I know you know this, but these events are massive. Um, and to help facilitate those events and keep people safe and have protocols takes a lot of work to make sure all that happens. So, um, well, the, the one thing I, I really enjoy doing is gamifying the exhibitor experience. So at PodFest, our exhibitors are pretty amazing. Like they're your audio companies, your headgear companies, you know, headphones and all that. And we make sure that pretty much everybody wins a prize or the majority of people that, you know, visit the booth. So we're really excited about that. That is really cool. I think uh, a lot of people don't give enough credit to the experiential side of, a, of an event. So it's great that you build that in with your exhibitors as well. Um, and you know, I'm in your corner. I'm happy to help you next year. I mean, I just want to see events, live events succeed. And certainly my family that I've, uh, I'm part of now with PodFest, it, it would be really great. So uh, I want to leave on one note. I want to know what is your favorite Greek dish to eat and to prepare? Well, <laughs> preparing is not my deal. Um, I'm, I'm not the great best preparer, but I can tell you, I just picked up my mom from the airport. She just got back from Greece. Um, so dessert wise, it's a galactoburiko. I know a lot of people know of um, baklava. Uh, that's up there, but galactoburiko, gala means milk. It's like, uh, it's almost like farina milk, but they condense it and, and in filo dough like baklava, but that, that's my favorite dessert. Uh, food wise, my mom is an excellent cook. So I would say avgolemono soup is my go-to when she's able to make, uh, the Greek avgolemono soup, uh, is it's my, it's my favorite dish that she makes, but anything my mom makes, my daughters know, yeah, yeah, makes the best food. <laughs> they tell, they tell everybody, um, that she, my, my mom is their favorite cook. Um, uh, preparing wise, I could do a Greek salad. That's easy. Cut, cut some, some. <laughs> ingredients and throw them in a bowl and throw some olive oil on it. But uh, I love, I love Greek food. Uh, I'm, I almost exclusively at my mom's house. I always get, you know, a brick of feta to eat with whatever she's cooking. And um, I'm very, I didn't realize how blessed I was that for the first 20 something years of my life living in my house, my mom cooked a home cooked meal just about every day of my life. So when I moved to Florida, <laughs> I understood and I started going to fast food places, which was not good for my health. <laughs> I understood the quality of care. My mom had taken care of me by literally having a home cooked meal just about every day. 
of my life um, up to, you know, when I moved out of the house. That's like true culture shock. <laughs> now that she's moved down, I get to have a weekend of that. We go over there and she cooks Saturdays and Sundays for me and the girls. And Katie and I get a 24 hour uh, away, you know, from the girls date night type thing. Aww. But we're really blessed to have her back. And I just I almost remember crying one time eating like a McDonald's sandwich, like missing my mom's <laughs> meals because I was I'd moved here. I didn't have any relatives or family. That's why I had to build up communities. What I do now. And I, I almost broke that. I, I didn't cry, but I almost was like a little hysterical. Like this is my, like I'm, I was looking at the thing I was eating. I'm like, this is my life. I'm eating this crap. <laughs> Luckily, Katie, my wife is an amazing cook and um, she prepares really healthy meals, which is great for us. Nice. Maybe you could get your mom to make a double size batch for you to freeze so that you can have like, you can meter it out a little bit. <laughs> she, she, um, I mean, you, you already know Greek family. She gives us, she gives me leftovers every Sunday night to take home. So we're just glad that they're back. Cause we were off kilter without my parents. Cause we didn't have our weekends to go hang out with them and, and our date nights. So we're excited to go back to that, uh, coming up now that they're back. Oh, that's wonderful. That's really nice to hear. Uh, it feeds your soul, builds you back up a little bit, right? What's your, what's your favorite uh, Greek dish? Um, I have to admit, I love baklava and I took uh, French lessons at one point and the um, instructor was actually Lebanese and uh, she, she had, was taught in Parisian French in school. So that's why she was teaching that. Uh, but whenever I came for lessons to her home, uh, we would take a little break at one point and she would serve us a piece of her homemade baklava with a little like a Turkish coffee. You know, it's all a little bit similar, right? The, the coffee. And I fell in love with it and I begged her. I was like, you have to give me this recipe. And she said, I'm not going to give you the recipe. I'm going to make it with you, oh, which, cool. which I love because I'm very visual. I'm not a follow the recipe type of person like just put me like i'm very tactile and yeah, very experiential me too yeah yeah so she invited me and my son came he was nine at the time and just the three of us made it from scratch and she showed me how to make it and i got to go home with this big tin of baklava and oh, so that's awesome it holds a place in my heart forever <laughs> that's a great story holly I, I i could see you lighten up when i was saying that that's awesome yeah that's really nice so chris i know you have a lot to do because you're building a lot of shows as i said i'm in your corner so we're going to have a an offline chat about this um but thank you so much for coming on culture factor i think the gig economy is much more educated for having had you on here Thank you. Listen, uh, thank you for having me. And I agree the gig economy is the way of the future and employers have to learn how to deal with contractors in order to solve the, the employee shortage, because that's, I don't think we're, I think we're, this is a huge transition that we're in right now. And it's, it's all about the gig economy. So what you're doing is amazing for this um, community. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. And thanks for coming on the show.